0: you guys hear me okay? Uh, well, I we'll just want to start off by saying uh, how excited Kate and I are to be here with you all this morning, and how grateful we are for the, the search team, and the elders, and the elder advisors, and all the interactions that we've had with uh, everybody from your church, even this morning. You guys have just done a wonderful job of making us feel welcomed and at ease throughout the entire process, and I am really excited to be able to Share God's word with you this morning. It is kind of a weird thing when you're preaching as a part of a job interview. Uh, so we could just name that reality, right? Uh, and so it it uh, even as Kate and I were on the way here, I was like, so I was like, I I feel like maybe like I'm like you know, this is why you should vote for me kind of speech. And I don't want to do that, right? We're here, we're here for Jesus. We're here to worship Him, uh, and so. Uh, let's, uh, as much as we know that the vote and all that has to happen, uh, let's keep our eyes fixed on the reason that we're here this morning, which is Christ uh, and his work for us. So uh, let me read for us our passage. Is your custom here to stand or not stand during the reading of the word? Okay. So uh, see, this is all every church does. They do things differently. Uh, okay. So our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Uh, the disciples, as each—excuse me—the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this morning and for uh, what we know is all the work that uh, has happened for for Kate and I to be able to be here and worship with uh, with Harbor City this morning. Uh, And So Lord, now we ask as we come to this passage, as we consider it together, uh, what we need is to hear from you and what you have to say to us through this passage for your church. So would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And Olympics are almost upon us, uh, so we'll take you back to 2004. In the 2004 Olympics, uh, the U.S. was represented in the rifle shooting competitions by uh, a man named Matt Amon. And Matt Amen uh, had already completed his first event uh, where he uh, won the gold. And it was uh, the interesting thing about that was that someone tried to sabotage his gun. And so he actually was competing with somebody else's gun and was able to win the gold medal. So he's going into a second event in the Olympics, the three-position event. And so for this event, the, each uh, sportsman has to uh, shoot 120 rounds. 40 rounds standing, 40 rounds kneeling, and 40 rounds lying down in a prone position. And uh, he is ahead of everybody. Uh, I mean, he is, he is well on his way towards winning a historic second gold medal uh, in the rifle shooting event. So he, he, he's looking through a scope. He finds his target through the scope. Uh, if you read about him, it says that he would always kind of come from the top of the target and bring it down right into the bullseye. It's just him and the target, and everything is seeing through the scope. And he takes a deep breath, and he pulls the trigger, and he hits the bullseye. The problem is that the target doesn't register anything. And so the judges are thinking to themselves, "What's gone on? There's been a malfunction, something has happened." Uh, so the judges are all conferring, and then one of the judges happens to glance over at the target in the next uh, rifle lane I think I don't know what it's called the lane uh, and notices that he had cross-fired. He had hit the bull'seye, but he had hit the bullseye for the wrong target. Uh, and so he was disqualified for that shot. He goes from first to eighth. And he doesn't win gold medal. Uh, it is uh, easy for us as the church to be focused on certain things. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do, and have all of our attention and, and hit the right, hit the target. But sometimes we're hitting good targets and not hitting the key targets, the key marks of what it means to be a missional church. Uh, and so for, and this is true for for the churches. You think about even Harbor City, coming out of COVID, right, uh, looking for a new pastor, pick me, um, <laughs> that one of the things that we have to consider is what are we actually trying to do as a church? Like, what are, the, what are the targets that we are aiming for? What is it that we think is the best expression of what the church is supposed to be? And this passage, the, the book of Acts as a book, is filled with information for us, teaching from God, about what the church is supposed to be. In This particular passage, we see three marks of a missional church. Uh, we see evangelism, uh, we see that a missional church is a church that proclaims the gospel. We see discipleship, a missional church is a church that is formed by the gospel, and we see because of the gospel. is a church that lives uh, sacrificially because of the gospel Uh, now Antioch is this those are our three points and we'll get to them in a second but first of all let me let me kind of set the stage for Antioch real briefly Antioch is a really important city Antioch was the third most important city in the Roman Empire behind Rome which is the capital of the empire and then Alexandria which is on the northern coast of Africa Uh, and and so Antioch was a business center it was at the crossroads of several trade routes. So you had people coming from as far east as India and China, as far south as Africa, as far, uh, you know, northwest as Europe. They're all converging at Antioch. So it's a, it's a business center. It's an international city. It was a military city uh, where the one of the Roman garrisons was positioned. It was a really strategic place. Uh, and what happens is that it is from this church that all of the missionary endeavors of the new testament begin so what is it about antioch what is it about the formation of antioch as a church that gave it this missional zeal that's what we're going to consider today those three points right uh evangelism discipleship and service and so here's the thing i want to be really clear i'm not i'm not preaching this morning presuming that that these are not true of harbor city in fact uh from all the conversations that we've had with the search team and with the elders and the elder advisors and the staff, and uh, whether it's been, you know, formal conversations or, or conversations over meal, Kate and I, we know that this is, these things are true of the church. Uh, and, and so uh, we're going to just reflect back and say, this is what we need to continue. The church, Harbor city needs to continue to do. All right. So first thing, evangelism. So what happens is that, uh, Earlier in the book of Acts, a guy by the name of Stephen is killed, and that sends uh, reverberations throughout the church in Jerusalem, and as a result of his martyrdom, uh, people begin to leave the city, and some of them, as they begin heading north, head towards the city of Antioch. So I don't know about you, but my geography of the ancient world is not that great. So I had to actually look up how far Jerusalem is from Antioch, and it's roughly about 300 miles. Uh, To put it into perspective for for us today, that's about equivalent distance from here, San Diego, to San Luis Obispo. Uh, So what you have is this group of men and women who begin going up along the coast, and they're proclaiming the good news. Uh, They're proclaiming the good news. Now, that word good news, even in verse 19, that's the word where we get Uh, gospel. So euangelion, the word for gospel that we translate. And and what's happening is they're going along and they're preaching this good news. The the focus seems to be primarily on Jews. So they're primarily thinking about folks that look like them. And then this really interesting thing happens. This group of Christians from the islands of Cyprus and Crete intentionally go into Antioch and begin to preach the gospel to the Greeks. So up until this point, all of the cross-cultural things that have been happening in the church, it's because Holy Spirit has been kicking these people, right? They're they're just like situated in Jerusalem. They're doing their thing in Jerusalem, and Holy Spirit sends them and is pushing them. And now, all of a sudden, these Christians, they're getting it, uh, and they go into Antioch. And the best part of it is that we don't even know who these people are. The the foundation of Antioch was ordinary people like you and me. It wasn't the star apostles that were sent in. It was ordinary people that laid the foundation for one of the most important churches in the history of the church. And part of that was because they were intentionally seeking to cross cultural borders with the gospel. They were trying to communicate the gospel. Now, I keep uh, you know, talk about proclaiming the gospel and evangelism. And I don't know about you, but when I hear evangelism, right, I, a couple of images come to my mind. The first image that comes to my mind is somebody with, you know, a big uh, post, post poster board card, right, with a verse written on it. Maybe John 3.16 is probably the one that I've seen the most often, right? Uh, or I think of, uh, you know, there are a couple places in Boston where you'll see somebody, you know, standing on the street corner, uh, and they're just talking, 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 and everybody's just walking past them. Bostonians, they're like, you don't care, you know, whatever. We're not paying attention to you, and but they're 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 doing evangelism. That's that's their conviction. Or maybe you think of knocking on people's doors, you know, cold calling on somebody's door. Now I don't know what evangelism looked like for these particular individuals. Uh, But I know that at least what I have found, what Kate and I found uh, for us is that the most fruitful expressions of evangelism in our lives have been when we have tried to intentionally incorporate spiritual elements into the conversations that we're already having. Uh, this, then there's a name for it. It's called spiritual conversations. There's a guy by the name of Don Everts who wrote a book called the reluctant witness. And he goes into great length explaining how is it that we can just really simply in the conversations that you and I are having every day already, how can we intentionally bring in spiritual elements into those conversations and bring those spiritual elements in so that we're slowly moving the conversation down the road of talking about Jesus more and more and more. And what happens is, it works, right? So they're going around, they're preaching the gospel, and you see not once but twice in this passage, people are coming to faith in Jesus. The, The Lord was adding to their number every single day. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? How would you respond? Uh, we use that word an awful lot. We talk about the gospel and all the implications of the gospel, uh, but sometimes it's important for us to kind of go back to the basics. But what actually is the gospel? It is the good news. That's what the word actually means, right? Good news of what God has done in Jesus. Now you can unpack that. You can unpack that to say it's forgiveness of sin, it's restoring of relationships, it's justice over evil. It's a uh, uh, healing of relationships. But at the end of the day, the most fundamental thing is that the gospel is what God has done in Jesus Christ. If, if you're here today, uh, whether virtually or, or joining us here today uh, in person, and that word is new to you uh, and you don't know who Jesus is, and you, you know here I am, the guest preacher, uh, talking and saying again and again this word gospel, Uh, what you need to understand is that that word is really at the heart of what it is that Christianity holds most dear. Uh, That that God loved us enough to send his son into the world so that through his son we could have forgiveness of sin and restoration of relationship and righting of wrongs and all these other things. Uh, And so if, if that's not where you are, if you are not yet at a place personally where you have believed in Jesus this is a church, because this is a church, I know, because I've had lots of conversations with people at this church. This is a church that is committed to helping folks like you that haven't yet believed to understand what it means to put your faith in Jesus. And so, uh, you know, someone that's up here throughout the course of the morning, grab them uh, and, and talk to them, whether it's me or, or Bill or somebody else. And we would, I would love to be able to talk to you about who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, what are the implications for, for those who are Christians, right, and call Harbor City their church home? Uh, so many different places we can go, but what I want to do is focus on one thing, and it's this. What are the, who are the people in your life right now that you could have a spiritual conversation with this week? Who is the person in your life right now that that you could ask the Lord to give you the wisdom to be able to bring a spiritual element into that conversation with them this week. Maybe you're not quite at the point of talking about Jesus. Maybe they don't even know that you're a Christian. There's actually a really easy way uh, to let somebody know that you're a Christian, right? So, hey, how's it going? I was good. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church. They know you're a Christian, right? They know you're religious at that point. and be able to begin to think about how can I intentionally bring this element into the conversations that I'm having. Now, here's the thing of what happens at Antioch. It's not just that, that second thing that we see is that talking about Jesus for the sake of making converts. The second thing that we see is that they were making disciples. Uh, So, you know, I think most of the kids are gone, but in case there's any, anybody here who's got any familiarity with sneak uh, Snicket series of unfortunate events anybody help me out here all right a few hands yay so this illustration is for y'all um, So there's this series of novels that I read with my kids a while back and Netflix has turned it into a TV series uh, Called a series of unfortunate events uh, And the premise of the series is this there are these three children Violet Klaus and Sonny Baudelaire and their parents die in this terrible fire And so the bad guy, Count Olaf, is trying to take their money. And throughout every novel or every episode, depending on which which version of it you're familiar with, these three orphans have this uncanny ability to get out of whatever problem that they're in. And as as the series continues, what you realize is that their parents had, unbeknownst to the kids, had been a part of this secret organization called VFD. Uh, and and that their parents had been teaching Violet, Klaus, and Sonny how to be members of VFD without them ever knowing that they were being taught how to be members of VFD. And so these three children have all of this knowledge and skill and all of this ability to be able to get out of these things because they were discipled by their parents to be like VFD. So what happens in our story here in the book of Acts is that the church in Jerusalem, 300 miles away, starts to hear these rumors about what's happening all the way up in Antioch. And they're like, all right, something's going on. Who are we gonna send? And so they send a man by the name of Barnabas to go uh, up to Antioch to find out what's going on. Now, here's the thing about, here's the thing about Barnabas. Uh, that's actually his nickname. His, his name is Joseph. But Barnabas was such an encouraging individual that he's Mr. Encouragement, not a son of Encouragement. Or maybe, you know, in today's terms, we would say, hey, he's Mr. Encouragement. Not in, a, not in a pejorative way. But have you ever had somebody in your life that whenever you talk to him or her, you just walk away feeling, like, good? There are two people in my life, right? I was thinking about this this morning. They both happened to be named Jim. Uh, that every time I talk with them, I walk away deeply encouraged. And that's the kind of man that Barnabas was. So they send Barnabas, and Barnabas begins to assess the situation. He begins to teach them and t- talk to them about remaining faithful to, uh, to God's word. And then he realizes There's, this is too much. I can't do this by myself. Barnabas is humble enough uh, to be able to go, and he finds Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul of Tarsus, uh, if that name's not familiar to you, then maybe the name of the Apostle Paul is familiar to you. So Saul of Tarsus uh, is known to us mostly today as the Apostle Paul. So think about this. Barnabas goes and finds someone with arguably much uh, greater preaching and teaching gifts because he recognizes it's not about me. And for a year, it tells us here that for one year, Paul and Barnabas dedicate themselves to discipling the believers in Antioch. And the fruit of that, so this is really important. This is a, a, something that this morning as I was reviewing it, it's just kind of like, oh, I've never thought of this this way before, right? When the church was in Jerusalem, it didn't need a, a, a name, right? Because everybody just saw it as the sect of Jews that had gone off and following this rabbi. But the, the way that Paul and Barnabas disciple the Christians in a, in a city that was not predominantly Jewish, uh, these folks formed themselves into something so distinctive that the people in Antioch had to coin a term in order to be able to identify them. And that's where the name Christian Came from, it came from the fruit of discipleship of Barnabas and of Paul. Um, now, when I say the word discipleship, uh, what image comes to mind? Uh, when we think of discipleship, it's not uncommon for us to uh, to think of it like this, right? Think of think imagine yourself with with a bag, uh, and in this bag you begin to collect all of these different spiritual things. Uh, so, oh, I learned to study the Bible. I'm going to put that in my bag. Uh, oh, I've learned the importance of memorizing scripture. I'm going to put that in my bag. Oh, I've, I found this definition for this theological term. Or, or I, got, I found this or that. And you begin to put this in your bag. And you've got this bag with all of these, uh, you know, very vital and precious and beautiful things. And we think, oh, that's discipleship. Discipleship is uh, collecting a bag of all of these things. And the the fuller the bag gets, the better disciple I am. What I would argue is that the the biblical way of understanding discipleship is not a bag, but it's a pipe. And what do pipes do? Pipes convey something from one place to another. Uh, And so same thing. I begin to, if we think of discipleship as a pipe, then I begin to understand how to study the Bible, and then I'm going to teach somebody else how to study the Bible. I begin to realize the importance of memorizing Scripture, and then I'm going to help somebody else see the importance of memorizing Scripture. I'm going to learn uh, deeper ways of being able to have communion with God in prayer, and then I'm going to help somebody else be able to do that. And that really is at the heart of discipleship. That's what you see Paul and Barnabas doing here. They're they're moving into Antioch and they're training these people. They're gonna leave. They're in in a roughly about a year after that year. But the church in Antioch and Barnabas go all over the Mediterranean world. But the church in Antioch continues to grow. Why? Because people were discipling people. We were having uh, dinner last night with the McCurans and the Hopkins, and we had this great conversation about discipleship. And here's the reality. All of us are being discipled by something. All of us, no matter how young or how old, something is, is trying to form us in its image. So we watch TV, we listen to the news, and, and if it's not coming from Christ, right, there's, there is, just think, think, of the, think of the things that we have struggled with as a society over the last year and a half. Race, politics, sexuality, gender identity. The gospel seeks to form us in one direction, and society, if it's against God, it will seek to form us in all. Was was the importance... So part of the conversation that we were having last night was, was the importance of seeing this not just for ourselves, but for future generations of the church. Where where we need to recognize, like we've got to form ourselves by the gospel. So as the, so, these are the marks, right? So the first mark that we saw um, is that uh, evangelism, a church that proclaims the gospel, and what we saw was that this group of people are moving up the coast and they're proclaiming the good news. And so the question for us is that I pose is, what are the spiritual conversations that that we can be having with one another? The second thing that we see is discipleship. And in discipleship, we see that discipleship is helping other people follow Jesus and then equipping them so that they can help other people follow Jesus. Uh, And so the question here for us is, who has God put in my life that I can help follow Jesus a little bit better? Sibling, maybe it's it's a, a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's, a, you know, a coworker, or someone else here at the church. But, but inevitably, all of us have someone in our lives that we can help move closer to following Jesus. And, 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 uh, and then for ourselves, like, who are the people that we are looking to to help us? be disciples, because we all need to follow Jesus. We all need one another. That's the importance of community. All right, so the first mark is evangelism, a church that proclaims the gospel. The second mark is discipleship, a church that is formed by the gospel. And then the last vital mark, now these are not the only ones, but these are the three that we see in this passage, is service, a church that lives out the gospel sacrificially. So at the end of our passage, what happens is that Agabus, a prophet, Uh, Comes up from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and he has this prophetic word, and he says there's going to be a famine. And as they begin to think through, okay, what's what's going to happen? What is it that we're going to do? Uh, The church responds. Now think about this, right? That's 300 miles away. Uh, Think of how easy it is when we see on the news of tragedy happening in other parts of the world, how easy it is for us to say that that's really sad and then go on with the rest of our day, right? And, and, and that's understandable on some level, right? Because there's so much tragedy and sadness in the world. So, so we would not be surprised necessarily if the Christians in Antioch uh, had said, oh, there's going to be this famine. Oh, well, we need to pray for the church in Jerusalem. But that's not what they do. Uh, what they do is they decide, we're going to take up an offering. And in taking up this offering, we're going to send it through the leadership of the church, through Barnabas and Paul, we're going to send it back to Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that uh, Paul, excuse me, Barnabas um, had been discipling these people, and so think of it like this. this: this is a unique situation in that you know, prophet comes in, there's a famine, we gotta we're gonna take care of it, but it's not an isolated occurrence. Uh, so, if you go back to the uh, earlier in the book of Acts, chapter two, verses. 44 and 45, uh, we see that right at the beginning of the church, right? Everybody had everything together. They had all things in common. They're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then we go to chapter four and and we read this. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought them to the proceeds of what they had sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as uh, any had need. Now, here's the thing. The very next thing that happens after that is that we are told that a man by the name of Barnabas had a piece of property, and that he sold that piece of property, and he gave all of the money to the apostles so that the apostles could use that. The same Barnabas that went up to Antioch and discipled those men and women to be faithful to the teaching of God's word. So is it any surprise that after they were being discipled by Barnabas, that when the church in Antioch heard of the need in Jerusalem, that they respond just like the man who had been discipling them? It's not surprise at all. Uh, so, so you see that, that responding, living sacrificially, and responding to the needs of the society at large uh, in strategic ways is a is part and parcel of the gospel there's a there's a a, a latino theologian by the name of Rene padilla uh, who in the 1970s along with some other men coined the term mission integral uh, and, and it's from that idea of integral mission that all of the holistic ministry and mercy ministry and all that stuff that you hear about today in the church, one of the tributaries that helped create that was this idea of mission integral. And the reason I love that term is because I love the juxtaposition. I love the bringing together of the ideas of mission and integralness, vitalness. So I was in the car yesterday with Chad as we were on our way to the Generate Hope. Uh, So I just really innocently, uh, and I didn't know. I mean, maybe you all—you probably all know this. I didn't know. So I just really innocently, I'm like, so, so tell me about Generate Hope. Uh, and he begins to tell me the story of Generate Hope. And he begins to tell me a story of how this church helped create Generate Hope. And I'm just sitting in the car. I'm thinking, who am I talking to these people about service? This is amazing. And it is. It's, it is a testimony to the faithfulness of God through this body that an organization like Generate Hope exists. And so that's why I said at the beginning, I'm not here to tell you, hey, you guys are not doing these things because I don't think that's true. Uh, But I do want to say that that these things are important to you and you need to know that they're important to Kate and I as well. Uh, That these are at the heart of the way that we see how ministry should happen uh, because that's what we see from God's word that the church that seeks to be missional has to be at least a church and is living, aiming the gospel, is being formed by the gospel and is living out the gospel sacrificially uh, in, in different places and it's, in its community. Uh, and so at the, at the risk of making my sermon a stump speech, it's like, you need to know that if you call me as your pastor, this is gonna continue to be at the heart of Harbor City as a church because it's at the heart of what I see, of what Kate and I see in scripture, at the heart of what God wants for his church. So let me pray for us uh, and then the band can come up and we can continue with our worship service. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this window into the church in Antioch and what it teaches us about what you want your church to be. We, we praise you, Lord, that through your faithfulness that the church in Antioch was able to plant churches and, and, uh, and uh, see men and women come to faith in Christ and that while we may not be able to trace the lineage directly, we know that we're here today because of their faithfulness centuries ago. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on these targets that you have given us, uh, that you would help us to remain focused on the things that you have called your church to be and to do uh, for the glory of God uh, and for the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.